welcome to Rhetoric O-Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And today we begin our first season of Rhetoric O-Rama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of what exactly is rhetoric. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Tim? Forsan et hike olim meminisse uabit. You know, I don't know anything that you just said. Well, it's Virgil. You can never go wrong with Virgil, unless you're exiting a space capsule. I don't, I don't get that at all. Virgil Gus Grissom, his space capsule sank to the bottom of the ocean because he opened the hatch too soon. That seems like a horrible way to start a podcast. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I guess we can go ahead and get started. So today we're talking about a uh, our big idea is what is rhetoric. So there's a lot of ways we can take the uh, what exactly is rhetoric, and and Tim and I have discuss, uh, decided uh, that we're going to talk about it in a historical sense, and it starts way back uh, with Thrasybulus. Am I saying that right? Sounds right to me. All right. So Thrasybulus was a tyrant. And like many tyrants, he took a bunch of people's land, and eventually the people got sick and tired of it, and they overthrew him. I don't know if they threw him down a space capsule or anything like that. Um, I don't, probably not. But uh, they overthrew him, and to get their land back, to get all the property and that had been seized from them, they advocated in court to get their uh, their stuff back. And so to do this, they obviously needed to speak in court. And so. Uh, there were some teachers that helped people talk about uh, or teach these people what exactly they needed to do to make their arguments. And so two of these teachers are Corax and Tisius. Now, it's possible that Corax and Tisius could both be legendary or possibly both of them are the same person. They, I think they're legendary in and of themselves. And that points to one of the facts about the beginning of rhetoric. It comes to be at a time in a primarily oral culture that's just becoming a literate culture. So the written records of the earliest days of record were often written down many years after some of the principal players had already died, if they ever even existed. So it could be fake news. Could be. Could be, but probably isn't because we have some good sources. Um, All right, so the other thing that we need to talk about before we get into the actual term is uh, there were these people called the sophists and they also taught people how to speak and um, any rhetoric textbook you have says you'll hear words in the, and you know, there, somebody will say something and, and it'll be critiqued as just mere sophistry. I've read that a million times. I've never actually heard anyone say the word sophistry ever in my entire life, except those textbooks. Have you? Uh, I have indeed. I've been, been accused of sophistry, but that's possibly because I happen to be a fan of the sophist. Oh. I once uh, ended a presentation on the relationship between rhetoric and philosophy by asking people to remember that the sophists were the good guys. Well, yeah, as long as you didn't get hurt, I'm happy <laughs> with it. Uh, the one thing the sophists did do, whether you like them or not, every teacher should love them because they introduced the concept of getting paid for your work getting paid to teach people, uh, and as people who get paid to teach, that seems like a sweet deal from my perspective. I don't know about you. That is a pretty sweet deal, but it was a little controversial because some of these people, in particular Protagoras, were making claims like they were able to make the weaker case appear the stronger, and that just seems downright unethical. It does, it does, but we'll test that out and see what it is. So, Tim, what is rhetoric? Is it poetry? Is it logic? Is it philosophy? What is rhetoric? It is, it is all of those things. D, all of the above. <laughs> now, one of the things about rhetoric is that uh, you can define it, and different people have defined it, 
And one of the first people to define it mostly negatively was Plato. And so in one of his early dialogues, he defines it as a knack that produces gratification and pleasure. He also goes on to say that rhetoric is to politics what cosmetology is to physical fitness. You know, if we're talking metaphors, I got one for you. Uh, there was the argument where rhetoric overlapped with poetics in a, in a similar type metaphor. They said this argument was made that poetry is to rhetoric as pure science is to applied science. So there's this abstract kind of notion, but there's the application of it to something, right? And so rhetoric could be seen not just in the terms of poetry, but rhetoric is the application of philosophy. But I guess that would probably upset a bunch of philosophers if I said that. Right? Well, I think nothing ph upsets philosophers more when I say that the difference between rhetoric and philosophy is that rhetoric is useful. Oh, 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 yeah. Now I can see why people at the uh, It's Your Conference presentations get angry with Tim. That's Tim McGee. You could call him at whatever his phone number is. Don't call me. Um, I'm one of the good people. But anyway, all right, so that's what Plato said, right? Plato's argument was basically that uh, rhetoric is pandering and deception and all things chicanery. Indeed. It's, it's sophistry. <clears throat> Indeed. And then along comes Aristotle, who is Plato's student. I've heard and, of him. And what he does in one of his texts called The Rhetoric is basically define rhetoric as the faculty of discovering in any particular case all of the available means of persuasion. Now, when you say all the available means of persuasion, does that mean I throw everything at the kitchen sink at them? I mean, I don't know if they had kitchen sinks in classical Greece. Um, actually, I do. They didn't. Um, <laughs> So does he mean like every single thing? No. One of the arguments is that instead of the available means of persuasion, it should be translated as the appropriate means of, trans of uh, persuasion. So indeed, you wouldn't bring in something totally out of left field. You would want to bring in something that is quite relevant to the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Aristotle is my understanding, knowing something about uh, the world of communication like I do. Uh, he seems to have some staying power. Indeed. Uh, Aristotle stuck around. Uh, he was quite influential in a lot of areas. And interestingly, uh, it, he wrote another book called The Poetics. Uh -huh. So not only does he have a theory of rhetoric, he has a theory of literary criticism that has uh, stood the test of time fairly well. So in The Rhetoric, his book, The Rhetoric, uh, or Scroll, as the case may be, uh, he talks about rhetoric in terms of a classification, right? And so other philosophers of rhetoric uh, that we'll talk about here in a minute, like Cicero, right? They wrote more of a guidebook to actually engaging in the art and skill of rhetoric. Aristotle didn't do that as much, right? He talked about the theory and the classification of discourses. He did. He was a great classic of classifier. Now, he did have some uh, guidebook parts to it, particularly in terms of how to appeal to the emotions. Yes. So one of the that was the main thrust of his book, if I recall, right? Well, is that the other other professors and teachers of Latin or of, of rhetoric were all about logic and missed the emotional part. Yeah, so he comes up with three different proofs. We've got ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos is often translated as the character of the speaker. The goodwill. But, but that is probably a Victorian mistranslation. Mm. Uh, ethos comes from the same word ethe as meaning the, your, your, uh, the tribe to which you belong. So my ethos might not include just am I an honorable or ethical person, but what I'm wearing to give a presentation would then cause people in the audience to say he is or is not a member of our tribe. What, what would you wear to be in their tribe? Well, I'd kind of figure out where I'm making the presentation. You know, oh. Generally, I put on a professor costume when I'm presenting at academic conferences. Uh, a tweed jacket with leather patches? I've got one. All right. So 
What else does Aristotle tell us about the wonderful world of rhetoric? Okay, so you've got ethos, which is in the character of the speaker. Pathos are the emotions in the audience. And even though some people would say, well, you shouldn't bring emotion into your argument because that's just corrupting it, he's saying, no, that's not necessarily the case. And then finally is logos. And some people say, logos, okay, that's logic. Well, uh, in Greek, the word logos means many things, including word, story, reason, as in the reason you did something, reason as in the capacity of reason. So logos is the stuff that's in the speech, ethos is the stuff that's in the speaker, and pathos is the stuff that's in the audience. That's like the triangle of power. Indeed. I don't know if he used that exact term, but that's what I would use if I was Aristotle, but I'm not. Okay. All right. So, and then next we have Cicero, right? And so Cicero, his point is that rhetoric is more like statecraft, right? Oh, yeah. More about the uh, politics of the day, getting things done. Right. So Cicero is both a rhetorician. He's a theorist of rhetoric. He wrote several texts on it. He is also a rhetor. He is a master orator. He's, he, so, he does engaged learning. Indeed, he, he does. He does in today's vernacular. Yeah. And so uh, he not only gave people guides on how to communicate effectively orally. He was a fabulously effective communicator, which helped him rise up through the ranks of politics uh, in Republican Rome. And then our last, our last in the classical era uh, is Quintilian, right? And so Quintilian had the, the ultimate period on the sentence, if you were, in defining rhetoric as the good person speaking well. Indeed, and that gets back to one of the critiques that Plato had in the Gorgias is that it would be irresponsible to give effective rural, oral communication skills to someone who was unethical. And so Quintilian sort of dodges that bullet by saying, first off, it is the good person speaking well, the ideal orator. Uh, Aristotle actually says, he takes another defense on that. He says the abuse of a tool is not an indictment of the tool. Yeah, it's uh, so like if I take a hammer and use that hammer to open a bottle of beer, the problem's not with the hammer. No, it's not. It's, it's with my, uh, my, my drinking, right? As rhetoric progresses, we move into the Renaissance era. And what, it, what what's the story there, Tim? Well, we've got this guy, Ramus, who is probably, you might call him pre-Renaissance, but he's the guy who takes, okay, uh, Cicero had five offices of rhetoric. You've got invention, arrangement, style, delivery, and memory. And Ramus basically takes invention, arrangement, and memory away from rhetoric, gives them to logic, leaving rhetoric with only style and delivery. So for those people who think rhetoric is just the surface niceness of your discourse, uh, that trend started back with Petrus Ramus. All right, so let's fast forward, let's get on our uh, time machine, fast forward a couple hundred years uh, to the contemporary era. And I have a few definitions of what people talk about today. So one of the Aristotle of today, of this contemporary era, is Kenneth Burke, right? And Kenneth Burke's definition is, the most characteristic concern of rhetoric is the manipulation of men's beliefs for political ends. The basic function of rhetoric is the use of words by human agents to form attitudes or to induce actions in other human agents. What do you think of that? Well, I was never a fan of Kenneth Burke. I had to read a lot of him in grad school. Is that why you don't like him? Uh, and <laughs> one of the things is, I, because I thought he was warmed over Aristotle, and I really like Aristotle, but I think you're right in saying that he has an Aristotelian take upon this civic discourse. 
Uh, many people that I like and respect think Kenneth Burke is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I'm still hoping that one day I will read his stuff and not be irritated by the way he writes. So he is kind of like version 2.0 of Aristotle, but Aristotle was all about the persuasion. Kenneth Burke was more about the identification, right? Definitely identification uh, looms large in Kenneth Burke, and that then gets back to that ethos thing. Are you a member of the tribe yeah. to which you are speaking? So identification is how is the speaker similar to in respects uh, to the audience, right? Right. So uh, here's another one. George Campbell. Uh, Rhetoric is the art or talent by which discourse is adapted to its end. The four ends of discourse are to enlighten under, un, enlighten the understanding, please the imagination, move the passion, and influence the will. What do you think? Pretty good. They don't quite map onto my four-part notion of text types, which is description, exposition, argument, and what's the other one? Narration. Oh, okay. That was almost like one of those, uh, uh, what's this, the governor from Texas when yeah. he was doing the debate? I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to uh, get rid of these three branches of government and forgot the third one. Yep. So actually, uh, if I remember correctly, I was reading about Cicero. And Cicero cautions people about this very thing. He says, never enumerate your points. If you say, I'm going to talk about three things, and you get in there, and you forget, you're going to look foolish, right? So never just say, I'm going to make a few points. That's a Dave tip of the day. <laughs> right. I like right? that That one. sounds good. I hope right. I can remember that. Uh, well, it's, it's recorded. Um, <laughs> all right. And so the last contemporary definition that we have is by Richard Lanham, right? You know Richard Lanham. I love Richard Lanham. And one of the things Richard Lanham talks about is the idea that we are in an information economy. So in this information economy, information is not what is in short supply. And he describes economics as sort of the theory and practice of dealing with short supply. So he says, rhetoric is the economics of human attention structures. It's attention which is in short supply. And if you can manage the attention of your audience, then that is a being an effective rhetor. Tim? We've gone through a thousand years or more of uh, definitions. So my question to you is, what, what is your definition? What do you think is rhetoric? I still like the theory and practice of effective communication. That's beautiful. And the reason I like it is it gives you an opportunity to distinguish between a rhetor and a rhetorician. Cicero was both. He was a theorist of rhetoric and also he was a marvelous orator. Martin Luther King was a masterful rhetor, but he was more a moral philosopher and theologian than a rhetorician. Plus, talking about rhetoricians allows me to correct the people who re regularly refer to me as a rhetorician, possibly on the model of mathematician, but also perhaps still influenced by Plato's association of rhetoric with cosmetology. So we are the beauticians of civic discourse. That, that's wonderful. I don't cry much, and I'm not going to cry here, but that was beautiful. You, ready? you want to hear my definition? I am. So I, am. I have two definitions. One, I was taught in graduate school that if somebody asks you what is rhetoric, you say the words, it is public discourse. And the reason why you say that is every definition is problematic. I think one of the points that we've kind of uh, uh, suggested throughout this, this quick review is that there's numerous definitions and different competing values. And so if you limit your definition to the pure, simplest two words you can, nobody can criticize you. Uh, that's one. My other definition with is I'm going to go with this. An asymmetrical communicative encounter with another. Oh. How about that? So I'm focusing on the individuals in the relationship, not the actual words. Do you okay. think that's going to make me famous? I think so. I see. I like that asymmetry because some people will talk about uh, dialectic. You have two people in a dialectic and they sort of have equal ability to communicate, whereas in rhetoric it is often more you have a speaker and an audience and the audience often doesn't get to talk back in many rhetorical situations. So 
What's our take-home point, Tim? What is our take-home point? I don't know that I have a take. Let's see. Does Tim have a take-home point? I've got one. Okay. Take-home point is that most of us can agree that what rhetoric is not is that pejorative sense of trickery, manipulation, and fooling people, right? You do hear people criticize uh, politicians, people engaged in the public stage of saying this is just, you know, empty rhetoric or mere rhetoric. That's not what we're talking about, right? That, that's got a pejorative negative sense. That's not what we're talking about, right? Absolutely. And I did remember my take-home point. Rhetoric has a long history of being abused by philosophy and philosophers, especially Plato. I like to say that the difference between rhetoric and philosophy is that rhetoric is useful. That usually ticks off the philosophers. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Oh, goody, a rhetorical device. Yay! All right, Tim, so the British woman we hired to do our voiceover says uh, our bonus content of the day is a definition. What do you got for us? Horismus, providing a clear, brief definition, especially by explaining differences between associated terms. Are you telling me that our random bonus content of the day has something to do with the thematic element of this podcast? That's the way the wheel works. Wow. All right, so do you have an example for us? Well, one of the things I like are, I'll go back to Aristotle, are his definitions, which work by means of genus and difference. So the first thing you do is you put something into the smallest category. So if I were going to define church, I wouldn't say it's a thing. I would say it's a public building. But now I need to differentiate it from a stadium or garage. So now a church is a public building regularly used for worship. And then to differentiate it further, I say especially Christian. And that separates it from a temple or a mosque. So there's a good charismas, which is very much of an Aristotelian genus and difference different definition. You're pretty smart. Thank you. All right. So I think we're uh, I think we're done. I think that's our first uh, our first episode of season one. So before we go get some cheeseburgers, uh, we have to take care of some business. So uh, like every podcast out there, we are sponsored. And who uh, who is uh, this episode sponsors Tim? This episode is sponsored by Salacious Aqueduct Installation and Repair. If you have a leaking drain or lack of hot water, call Salacious Aqueduct Installation and Repair. And if you're tired of the overcrowding and all-round raunchy debauchery at the public baths, Salacious also installs baths in your private villa. Salacious Aqueduct Installation and Repair is also open XXIV hours a day. That's amazing. They do good work. I've seen them. I've seen them around. Uh, they have an office right across the street from the Coliseum. All right. So I'm Dave Dewberry. That's Tim as seen on TV McGee, where you are professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been Rhetoric Orama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artist, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. And Rhetoric Orama is recorded at Casto Di Pato Studios. If you have any questions or you're looking for more information, you can contact us via our website at rhetoric.fun or consult your local library. Now let's go get some cheeseburgers. Thank you.